Thanks for listening to the Mentors for Military podcast. Our goal each week is to bring you amazing content and guests. Support our podcast by visiting our Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash mentors, the number four M-I-L, to pick a tier that is right for you. Or donate any amount you like. It's that easy. You may even pick up some cool swag or have an opportunity to help us co-host an episode. Help us bring you an awesome episode each week by visiting patreon.com forward slash mentors for mill today. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be part of your guys' space here, and I'm, I'm excited to uh, to kind of tell my story and get it out to other people so that they can see that uh, it's not just you guys, it's other veterans as well. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, of course, we've only had a few Navy guys, most of them SEALs, uh, had a, a jet fighter pilot and that type of thing, but we've never had anybody that comes from your background. And so it's going to be really cool to dive into that because as you and I talked on the phone so those similarities, I think we can all relate to, and it'll be a, a great show because of that. Um, first off, though, I want to thank you because you're one of our biggest patrons on Patreon, and that's uh, a site, of course, that we talk about all the time at the beginning of the show where we thank those who are our patrons. So really appreciate you you being a patron and uh, supporting us at the tribe member level, especially. Well, no no thanks required, but you're, you're welcome. I'm glad to be part of it and glad to... Help get that message out to people. So. Yeah, and you issued a uh, you issued a challenge, or you mentioned something about a challenge, and I don't know if you still are up for that challenge. And that's yeah, absolutely. You- so, yeah. so the challenge that I wanted to issue to uh, anyone out there that's listening to this is that if you decide you want to <clears throat> contribute to the tribe level, that I will double the amount that I'm giving, give myself up to I guess twice the tribe level, put myself at sixty, and then in order to contribute to get a two for one deal, so. Thank you very much. And I actually created, I was just telling these guys, created another level just because of you. So now we've got a level called Tier 1 Asset. So those are the the people who rise above the top and actually want to set themselves off as uh, being more elite. And uh, you're certainly talking that. And and, uh, so anyway, anybody out there that's listening that actually wants to contribute at the next uh, level, at the tribe level and stuff, then, of course, that means Jonathan will move up to the Tier 1 level. And uh, we'd love to have some more people supporting us at that level. There's cool swag that you get. Of course, you get an opportunity to join us on a a podcast show. Uh, What's interesting is the setup is supposed to be more as a co-host as opposed to a guest. But both you and Stephanie have had fascinating stories. And so you end up coming on not only as a co-host, but you end up being a dual role of being the guest as well. You came in, I guess, out of high school. Is that uh, how you came into the military? And what made you join the military? And where were you at at that time frame when you decided to come in? So I was, so this would have been uh, December of 1995. Okay. So I had graduated high school and done some side jobs. And I saw a ad in the paper that said cable and linesman wanted. And I answered it. And the uh, U.S. Navy was on the other side of it versus <laughs> some contractor. Nice. And so they said, hey, do you want to uh, you want to come in and take some tests? And I said, sure, yeah, sounds good. So I went in and took the uh, ASVAB, and they said, hey, you, you, you seem to do pretty well on that. Do you want to take uh, the nuclear field qualification exam? And I said, sure, let's take that. So we took that, and they said, uh, great. So do you want to join the Navy as a Navy nuke? And I said, sure, yeah, let's let's go do that. Do you have any um, idea what that was, though, Jonathan? Nope, when nope, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, at this point, everything is... Go ahead is, and sign me up. Yeah. I'm, good. Yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> if I, it's got its own test, I'm all over it. <laughs> so, so I went in, and uh, I, was at, I was in Great, Great Lakes uh, boot camp during the uh, government shutdown. So we had a week of not getting anything done. Um, and then from there, I uh, finished that and then went to uh, Orlando and did my A school. And then they do something called power school down there. So I just barely got through that. And then, uh, so now that's about a year. And then uh, for Navy nukes for, and then somewhere around there, they said, hey, do you want to go on submarines? And I said, sure, that's, uh, sure, it sounds great. Um, so sign up for submarines. And uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm going to something called Prototype, which in uh, upstate New York, Boston Spa area, 
they have a uh, they have an engine room that looks like a submarine, and you go train there. And then I finished that, and then uh, I went to the fleet, and then the rest was the rest was history. Yeah. Before we go too far down this path, though, let's let's back up for a second. So yeah. all along this way, you never knew that the nuke, and I'm assuming because I don't know that my father spent. 23 years in the Navy, but he was on seaplanes and stuff like that back in the day. So I don't know anything about the nuke side. The, is there a separation between nuke sub and nuke or, or is nuke? Uh, I always thought the nuke was the code word for submarine. No. Nah, so, so for, uh, so all submarines are nuclear powered, both tridents and fast attacks. Um, and so you have the guys back in the engine room. So we are the nuclear operators and then forward, you have the other rates, sonar techs, fire control technicians, that kind of stuff. Um, so we make the water, push the boat, make air, and then uh, we have the guys up forward who fire the weapons and steer the ship. So that's that's what a Navy nuke is. And then they have them on carriers as well. Okay. Um, so there's a whole lot more of them than, than us. Okay. So that so that's so that's what we did. So when they asked you, do you want to be in the submarines, that's specifically what they were saying is, okay, do you want to separate yourself from the rest of the fleet and go submarine versus going on a, a carrier or something? That's true, yes. Yeah, okay. Um. And what was your thought, immediate thought at this point? I mean, submarines, of course, is not something that you have a, an opportunity to really experience in your daily life. So what what was your expectations going into this whole thing? Um, it was more money. <laughs> <laughs> so I, obviously there was a bonus that went with this. Yeah, they said, hey, if you go submarines, you can get sub pay, you can get C pay. Uh, there are these other bonuses you can sign up for. I was like, all right, that sounds good. Um, I really had no idea. Like, yeah. I had never, you know, never been down on one. So I just thought this seems like a pretty cool idea. So that was about it. I had so no idea. So do you idea. feel like submerging yourself in a big old house yeah. that's really long but not very wide? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. yeah, we we refer to it as the sand tank with wings at times because that's kind of what it looks like when it's yeah. on the surface going out. Yeah. So. Probably for most of us, the closest we got to submarine was uh, the hunt for Red October. That was probably the closest that we got to ever <laughs> understanding. Yeah, they, don't have, they don't have dogs running around the submarines. What? What? No, that, that doesn't happen. You don't have a Scottish guy that tries to act like a Russian either? <laughs> nope. No, they don't have that. The dude's you just ruined the whole thing for me, Jonathan. Sorry, sorry. I just saw Hunter Killer this weekend with my with my Spoiler kids. Spoiler alert. That was a little bit better. Yeah, was it? Okay. So, I, yeah. yeah, it's always funny when, when uh, you know, you start watching military movies. I can't watch half of them because they drive me crazy. Just little things like wearing the rank wrong or wearing a beret wrong or, you know, something like that drives me nuts. So, you know, I'm sure it was the same with you on watching movies okay. around submarines. You know, it's like, oh, my God. OK, you know, that's not true, especially you wouldn't have a uh, a Scottish guy talking Russian here. And, you know. <laughs> no, no, not unless you want him to. <laughs> Tom Clancy, though, he's a good writer. I'm not trying to knock Tom Clancy. It's a good writer. Oh, and yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Any rate, you go into the uh, the sub and you start the training. And at yep. this point, do they end up assigning you to specific submarines or, you know, what different classes, those types of things within the nuke subs? Or how does that kind of work? So when you you kind of fill out a dream sheet okay. and you give three top choices and you say, like, so I want to go here, here and here. You get and, none of them. Yeah. And the, you, well, well, I, I got Groton because most people don't want to go to Groton. Most people want to go to Pearl Harbor or someplace else. Uh, my family lived on Long Island. Um, and I said I wanted fast attacks. I don't think I really knew why. I just did. Yeah, sounded cool. Yeah, yeah, and I and that's what I ended up getting. What they also do is if there's a if there's a dire need for a large group of people for a carrier, if it's crewing up, they'll just pretty much tell you you're going to the surface fleet. Okay. Um, it just depends on needs of the navy. It's probably just the same in any other, uh, you know, is it army, marines, or whatever. Where if they need these kind of people here, then they're going to direct you. And we have a whole lot less rates and specialties than than for some of the some of the people that are on your show yeah um so for nukes you pretty much get pipelined into doing three jobs you're either a mechanic an electrician or a reactor operator or an electronics technician for back aft that's really about it so what's the first time that you know yourself and those that you're going through the training with discover whether or not they're claustrophobic or not <laughs> um so supposedly they say because we go through a different pipeline than the forward guys do the the sonar techs and such what they do is they go through a school up here in Groton called uh, sub school. So nukes don't go through sub school. Um, supposedly through the testing that they do with us, that uh, they can kind of weed those people out that 
won't be claustrophobic, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, my one roommate who was a forward guy was claustrophobic. He got on board, freaked out, and they were like, all right, you're gone. Um, so I think for most times um, it, they say they do, but I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. You just kind of get down there and you're like, all right, this is what I'm doing. And then you just kind of go. I wish you think a- the job Should we go ahead and turn around? I yeah. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> we just stay on the surface? Yeah. Jonathan, you you think the jobs would be interchangeable, particularly around the nukes, the mechanics, electricians, um, reactor guys? If there's if there's a, the same job on a, a surface fleet uh, ship as, a, as, a, as well as on a sub, you'd think that they'd rotate people around and break the monotony a bit. I, I always imagine submariners being quite a grim job being stuck in the dark under under the water you know and for that to be a job ongoing right so i i I always thought well i never knew about it but when you said that there was jobs that you could get called into the surface fleet then you'd think that they'd kind of rotate people around and you know have twice as many people but you get one stint on a sub one stint on a carrier and rotate back and forth yeah, I, so I think the reason that they do it differently for us is that for uh, for the submariners that we are, um, not only you the damage control, not only do you clean it, but you do your expertise on the surface ship. They have an entire division that's damage control. So your specialties are a lot different when you when you get to go do your job. For the surface guys, the actual jobs they do are, are very very similar, but their warfare is their warfare qualifications are different than being being a submariner. And getting your fish, as opposed to getting your surface warfare pin. Okay. So yeah. the, that that makes it a lot different that way. But you can yeah. transfer. Yeah. You have you'll have some guys who they get disqualified submarines because of medical or some other reason, and then they'll go to the surface fleet, and then they'll go be a nuke on a, on a carrier. Hmm. Um, and that's interchangeable. Typically, they don't go the opposite direction though. Is nukes considered? Because it's another thing. Again, I, I'm just trying to make sure I understand it well enough. Yep. Is nukes considered on a submarine to kind of be the top? I mean, because you of what you guys do in terms of mission, it always appeared to me that um, there's a respect level for the individuals that perform your job because of the difficulties that go along with it. You know, long deployments or long missions and stuff, places unknown, deep water. I mean, it's it's some pretty interesting things, you know. Um, I I mean, so yes, uh, like if so, if we pull up to a surface ship, you know, most of those most of those sailors will understand what we do. It's sort of like. Uh, sort of like having a smaller specialty inside of like the army or the marines where you have the generalization of the people but then you have um a smaller elite group above that so for instance my brother is a a chief in the navy as well Um, he works on fixed wings and helos um so for him you know being a a crew member on a helicopter that made him a a, you know a smaller group inside of a bigger group um and for most part if there are people who are in the navy who don't do submarines they tend to believe don't understand what we do I mean, they do, but they don't understand. Like, we were moored out, sort outside of a, a surface ship down off the coast of Peru, and um, there were a bunch of guys who were coming topside, and they couldn't believe that there was a, a reactor on board. They said, how do you guys refuel? And we said, we don't. And they looked down, they're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, there's a nuclear reactor on board. They're like, there's a what? <laughs> so there's yeah. kind of a misconception, right? And I think most people don't understand that, that that's, you know, that we go through that schooling to learn how to operate it and to do, you know, to do repairs and to do maintenance and that such. I can see people's where they get their perception from with that, though, Jonathan. Right. When people say it's a nuclear submarine, people could easily think that that's the weapon system as opposed to the fuel type, yeah. I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like the Trident, so the bigger boats, like down where, where Robert is down in Kings Bay, those carry nuclear weapons when they go on, on deployment. Fast attacks typically do not, right? So that's where all that's where all of your ICBMs are located in the water on both the East Coast and the West Coast. So when we go on deployment, we go and do a whole variety of missions, but typically we're not carrying nuclear weapons on board. Hmm. Okay, so it's not uh, like the hunt for Red October then, when I'm thinking of it, where the commander of that uh, submarine is basically his own country at some point. Right, so if you're a ballistic submarine and you get called to, to go fire, then yes, that's you're talking about a 600-foot, you know, I get, you know, it's a submarine of death, right, because you're, of how many missiles you're carrying. For us, we're about 320 feet long. Um, and we go and we, we go places where others can't. Um, and then, so, yeah, so, so that would, what, what a ballistic submarine would be kind of like what you think about the hunt for red October. So, so is it, uh, the purpose of being a little bit more scout stealthy type of thing, as opposed to 
the other mission, you know, type yeah, of thing. So, yeah. Uh, so there's, there's kind of this the thing between the two. So sort of like if uh, you have the Trident guys, um, what they'll call themselves is hide with pride because they don't want to go get found. Typically, we're going to go hide, but we may have a variety of missions, whether it be um, laying mines, counter detection, um, reconnaissance, uh, tracking other submarines, uh, keeping the sea lanes open, presence. You know, there's like 14 different things that we can do. Um, and they're always trying to find more because of, of what we can do. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating because you think back as to how long submarines have been around. I think it, what, what was it like around the civil wars when they first started making submarines that would go and ram the ships as they were coming in, but they didn't survive. So, so it wasn't such a great weapon. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know, the concept and everything you know, kind of came around in that time frame and the advancements that's happened today. I don't think there's enough really talked about in terms of submarines and their mission and the whole bit. But I think we, the way in which I see you guys very similar to say the army and the Marine Corps, um, who may have long deployments, um, periods away from their family, never knowing when they're going to be coming home. Their family may not know where they're going at the time of which they leave. They don't know how to contact them. There's a general pool. Basically, you send your letters to or communication to so that it can get, you know, placed in and arrive at wherever the destination is where those people are. And, and so I see that very similar in your case, at least it, uh, it does it parallel very much that same thing. No, that's, that's exactly the way it is. So at least yeah. for, so for fast attacks, um, you're, you're guaranteed at least six months. Um, it could be longer. Uh, you typically, the crew members know where they're going. The families do not. Um, and it also depends on where you're going. So sometimes you may leave and go right on mission. Other times you may pull in somewhere to, go pick some stuff up, pick up mail, stuff like that, and then go on mission. Um, and then you may be told to go on mission and then you go someplace else. Um, and, you know, during that time when you're out and you're doing your job, um, email's down. So yeah. you're not, we're not getting anything in. We're not sending anything out. Um, and so, yeah, so the wives will, wives or spouses or what, all those different individuals will get information via, you know, their contacts inside of the family support group. But typically not until it's very, very close so that information doesn't get spread. Because if you think about it, um, where we're going and what we're doing um, on the, the surface for us is not a great place to be. Um, and so uh, stealth and the ability to stay hidden um, and for people not to know where we are is one of the biggest assets we have. Um, and so that, that's why that information is kept under tight wraps. Um, and then when you do show up, you know, everyone tends to, you know, you know, once they get topside, they'll go call their, call their spouse and say, Hey, I'm here, you know, can't tell you how long, but, uh, you know, we can talk for a little while and then off we'll go again. So yeah. it's very similar. What's the, um, what's the known depth that say your subs, you know, end up going and stuff just so people who are listening could have an understanding. Obviously this would be the documented depth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wikipedia, it says greater than 600 feet. Okay. Uh, so and and it'll give a it'll give a speed there um, as well. But th those are just like the the Wikipedia versions, obviously. So, so I mean, for those who've never done scuba diving or anything like that, every thirty three feet is one atmosphere. So that's that's a long ways down in terms of atmospheric pressure. Yep, it is. It's yeah. uh, you don't. I don't think you get a. I don't think you get a real kind of respect for it until you do a maintenance period and you do a hull cut and you look at the metal and see how thin it is. Um, and then realize they welded back together. And then um, when you when you do dive, um, de depending on how you change depth, um, you you can hear hull popping and creaking. Mm. Um, so so you got that going on. So you know it's happening. Exciting. You, know you have a just a pressure on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't you hear that? I mean, I can see where you guys that's been on it for a while would start messing with the young guys. Like you start oh, hearing yeah. the popping and cracking and. Yeah, I mean it's just like anything else. You're like, you know, especially if you, it's your first time underway. The first time underway is always a little is always a little scary when you dive the ship because you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. So how many years did you end up going and diving in, as a submariner then? So I did two shore duties, which were both two and a half years apiece. My first ship I was on for four years. Second one was two years with a dry docking. So probably eleven, twelve years mm. of taking the ship underway. With wow. three maintenance periods, so um, up in a dry dock up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, yeah. ripping it apart and putting it back together. So about probably about twelve years. Yeah. 
What is the effect that you have seen in terms of like, um, you know, trauma or I guess sort of like a mental state and stuff post submarine? I mean, do you find that that tends to be something that um, affects individuals as they end up spending a large amount of time, especially underwater in those types of situations? I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I don't think so because you get used to your environment. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, if I was on a surface ship, that'd be really strange. For me, diving the ship and being around all of your all of your crew, you're used to that. It's just how you you get into a rhythm and every you know you you just do your thing. Um, I think where it comes back is when you come back home because um, it's, it would probably be very similar to you know it, when you go to sleep, you're not really asleep, right? Because not only are you damage control, which means you know, so for example, if I was, if I was, we normally three section rotation, you're standing eight hours a watch, then you have eight hours to do a maintenance and training, and then you sleep for eight hours. So in those eight hours off, you're part of the damage control team. So if they call away, you know, fire, fire in the engine room, fire from engine room lower level, um, I had to be up and dressed in a full firefighting ensemble and on a hose in three and a half minutes. So when you're sleeping and you're, you're not really asleep because you're hearing noises, to try to figure out if you have to be someplace, right? And and so different wow. things will happen. So you'd be like asleep, they may go up to periscope depth, so you feel the ship kind of come up. And what that does for you is when you get back home, it takes it takes a while for you to acclimate to just regular life um, because you're so used to being hyper alert all the time. And so, um, you know, most of the time you would have a hard time sleeping. You would have a hard time getting yourself back acclimated to the normal kind of things of life very much like uh the combat deployments you know yeah except you're just not you know we weren't being shot at right <laughs> well, <laughs> well, i would say though a little bit this has got to be a little bit tougher because there's not a communication to the uh, outside world mm-hmm. you know uh you're not there's no mail call <laughs> yep there's and, no connection to the outside world yep. so you know yeah. you, you don't you don't see sunlight you don't see day and night you know, all, yeah, all he, the normal things that we take for granted every day when you're on the surface. Yeah. Right. I, I would imagine that being the hardest part of being submerged is. I, yeah, I guess. But I, I guess I never thought of it that way because for us, when when you're in your 24-hour cycle, when you go to birthing, the lights are off. It's dark, right? Unless everyone's up. Yeah. So that's your nighttime. Um, the only time it gets kind of screwy is when um, we stayed on we stayed on three, eight rotations and you did the same thing every day. What they would do is they would rotate the meals every two weeks around us. So you'd have breakfast, lunch, and then you'd have lunch, dinner. So the only way you actually knew what time it was was by what meal you were getting, right? Because then you'd go – so then you'd go on deployment, you'd go on mission, and you'd shift to Zulu time. So you'd be up, and the clocks are telling you, you know, zero one hundred in the morning, and they're showing something, you know, outside of, of a periscope, and it's daylight. So now you're trying to figure out, okay, what time is it real? I mean, you know – but you're like, this is all jacked up. And it takes you a while. So did, you to- judge, did you judge time by like, okay, I've got two more grilled cheese and a wake up. That's pretty much <laughs> yeah. uh, You're like, you know, so it was sort of like we kid with the, the, the CS chief. We had, we pulled him to Bahrain and it was a bombing 121 topside. And uh, uh, so the next day for lunch, we had roast beef. And I was like, why the hell do you hate us? Like, who wants to eat roast beef at 120 <laughs> degrees? He's like, it's on the right. rotation. There's nothing I can do about it. That's just what we got. So, yeah. So, so yeah, um, it, it's kind of like you, you look at what the meals are and where you're going and how long you're going to be there, and that's how you judge kind of like where you're at. Well, so. so that's the mental side of it. So from a physical side of this, I mean, what about the vitamins that you get from the the ability, you know, or the, the I should say the effect, too, when you do come topside and you see the sun – I mean that's yep. a, that's a pretty bright ball up there at the point of which you know the <laughs> the light you had in the submarine they can't replicate that you yeah, know are there tanning beds down there <laughs> no 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 tanning beds um, it's all fluorescent light um, you know I think most guys most guys bring supplements with them underway um, you know it's uh, I mean the 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 water is RO water so the water is good um, you know mostly what happens is you get topside the the one thing that you the one thing that changes a lot is oxygen content. Um, oh, so when yeah. you're submerged, right, we, we scrub out the carbon dioxide, but sometimes depending on how many people you have, the carbon dioxide levels will, will get high and O2 will get low. And then what'll happen is you just feel really sluggish. doesn't matter how much coffee you drank, doesn't matter how much you slept. You just feel like there's like bricks in your, in your pockets, right? 
and you feel like you could sleep forever. And then what will happen is you'll do that for a while and we'll, we'll get oxygen into the boat and then we'll decide to come up and ventilate. And when you do that, as soon as you hear the blower start and the oxygen levels go from like 18.6 to 21%, all of a sudden you're just wide awake, right? And uh, <laughs> what you would call that as being spit out of the rack, guys would be like, didn't you just go to bed? I'm like, yeah, we're ventilating. So I'm wide awake now and I can't go back to sleep. Um, <laughs> That's and then crazy. Pull- <laughs> I never crazy. thought about that. Yeah, it's just it's just the way that uh, it's just the way it goes when you're in an enclosed place and you can't bring air in, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you pull in topside, guys, just you know, Doc's like, "All right, I got the thing of sunblock here. Make sure you put it on because all of you guys are pale as, you know, whatever." And of course, they don't. First day out, they go and they get drunk and then they put on a bunch of, and then they come in, they're all sunburned. You're like, "You're an idiot." Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so it's <clears throat> yeah. So you do have the, you do have the physical effects from that. Um, as well. And it's also, you know, it's exercise. Um, there's not a lot of room. We had one treadmill, we had two, we had two TRXs, we had power blocks. Um, but there's not a lot of room and you're, you are physically working out where someone's standing watch. Um, and so it can get, you know, kind of contentious at times and you can only do so many pull-ups and so many squats. Um, so, you know, you, you, you do the best you can. Some guys work out a lot, some don't. Um, but you you do have that problem as well. Yeah, I could see all of this. I mean, so you've got the physical aspect of it, the mental as- uh, aspect of it as well. And, you know, it's one of those things I think some of us who see a lot of daylight, uh, you know, all the time, we kind of take for granted, seriously, you know. Yep. You know, you don't really think about those uh, people that are in those MOSs like yourself that are out there doing this, and um, that's the skill that you have. So w- what does this kind of stuff do – I mean, we kind of talk about the mental, physical. How about through the transition? How does this end up affecting, a, you know, or maybe talk a little bit about yourself. How did some of this may have affected you through your military transition? So I, I think, uh, you know, kind of like being with a group, you get you get real close with the people that you're serving with, especially if, um, you know, I may I may hate your guts, but I know that if I'm if something happens that you're going to save my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you transfer you see the same people in the same circles. Um, the last deployment we did in 2014 was probably the best one I've ever done just for, um, feeling like you're doing something that matters. Um, and when you, when you, you transition, you know, all those people are still there. And if you hadn't, I I didn't build myself a very good contact group when I got out. And so they just kind of can, you know, continue doing their thing. Um, and I had no contact with them. And um, I'm not on Facebook because I have my Facebook account hacked and I just never went back. Um, and so I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on any of those things just because, especially like underway, I don't see the need for it. Um, you know, I can talk to my wife. I can talk to my kids. And I've got all my friends around me. And then you leave. And uh, the next thing you know is your friends don't. And, and they're off still punching holes in the ocean. And uh, you're kind of sitting there going, well, I, I guess I should have thought about this a little bit more about how to stay in contact. And then they do see you. And, you know, they're still doing their thing. So it's sort of like this weird connection that you have because they're looking at you and they're like, ah, I look like you probably put on a little weight. You know, now you're growing a beard and all this kind of stuff. You know, what's going on? I'm still doing PT every two days or whatever. And and um, and so I think what happens is I, I lost, you know, I lost my tribe. You know, I read I, I was talking to you about that. I read that book. Um, and what I realized halfway through my first year transition was like I lost my entire support system. Um, and I kind of did it to myself and, uh, you know, on top of it, I think the other thing that we take for granted in the military is, is that, um, I don't know how else to put this, but no one outside of, no one outside of your family or your best friends, if you have them really could give two craps about you. Um, and, and unless you build up that camaraderie with another group, whether it be CrossFit or people you work out with or whatever, that the same like-minded stuff, most people don't have your back. That's kind of a maybe that's a dark way to look at it, but that's just kind of how I felt. It wasn't the same as being, you know, underway. And I, I hear what you're saying, but I think uh, we're at a point in time, and this is my thought process: is that you know we as vets that are in this mindset, we can help affect that in you know the corporate world because we we bring that mentality. We just have to figure out how to harness it and you know expose people to it because that that is a culture thing that I think that we can bring that would be extremely positive to society and to the workplace. Yeah, no, I agree with you, but I think it. I think for me, 
me specifically, um, I just didn't realize that. You know, I, I was yeah. By the time I got to 20 years, um, you know, I mean, our deployments. So my last ship I was on, I was on for five years. I did two six-month deployments, one heavy maintenance period. And by the time we went back up to the yards, I was burnt out and tired. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And and so I, when I left, I was like, you know, I'm gonna go home, collect, collect a paycheck, spend time with the kids because we've got four kids, kind of reconnect with them. And uh, I self isolated myself, and I really didn't know what to do about it. Um, and you know, so I got back into a group of people that. So I, I got back in with a group called Fleet Reserve, and what they do is they fight for uh, sailors' rights on at on DC. So I started working there for a while. Um, and seeing the same people, and it was just strange because there they are still still doing the same thing. And they're like, well, why are you bartending? And I'm like, because I want that connection with you guys, right? I miss you guys, Yeah, that connection. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. I, I think what I've learned now moving forward is, especially in the group that I work at now, is that um, I can harness that same power. I've just, I, I think I just didn't know how to do it. It took me some time to get to this point to say, like, yeah. all right, guys. We're going to work together as a team to get this job done one way or the other, um, and and that's what we need. And I've gotten better at that now, um, so I would agree with yeah. you one hundred percent. I think get, the other thing that go ahead. No, I just uh, and I, I you know last point with that was I didn't get out and get involved with a veterans group right away, and I should have, right? Yeah, I should I should have joined one of the groups either it was Team Red, White, and Blue, or Team Rubicon, or one of those, and get connected and force myself to go and do that. And be with like-minded people and be like, all right, here's a starting point. Let me see where I can go next. You got out in 2015, right? 2016. 2016. So, I mean, even like, I mean, uh, not that our communication capabilities have gone extremely wild comparatively, but I think that it's more prevalent now than it has been prior to. And we're getting better about the, uh, you know, the veteran community outreach and stuff like that and, and being more aware of these things. I yeah, think- I would agree with that. I, I think that's partly true. And, and this is what I was going to say is that I think that if I would have came to you and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Jonathan, but if I would have came to you, say, a couple of years out or maybe even halfway through your military career and said, hey, one day you're going to transition because we all did or all yeah. are. We're all going to make yeah. that step. So, oh, by the way, you need to start thinking about this, this and this. You could give a care less about what my opinions are and what I'm offering you and what you think's gonna or what I think's gonna happen to you when you separate. And yep. you're not gonna feel it until you do separate and you run through those struggles that you just outlined and everybody is different. Some people have a great plan. Like, you know, I, I thought I had a great plan. I even made a comment. I'm driving off the installation. I'm going to cock my rear view to the side. I'm not never going to look back. I'm always going to look forward. I made these stupid comments, right? And over time, it ends up catching up with you. Some people feel it early enough, like Eric, to me, is an outlier. You know, he's somebody that feels it in his last year or so, you know, a couple years before separating that I need to start making connections. I need a network within as well as without, whereas I wanted to sever those ties. And so um, I think everybody's different. I don't know that everybody's wired the same. But I think think what Eric is saying, though, is that it's there. It's just that you have to start thinking about it in some way at some point that you're not going to be in the military any longer. So what are you going to do about it? And how do you think you're going to deal with the situation? And do you have a backup plan? Right. And I, and I think for me, too, the other thing I, I came to realize like pretty, you know, probably just this year was 2019. It's like it finally came to me. I was like, all right. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life before I joined the Navy. Mm-hmm. And even when I got out of the Navy, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Yep. Right. So there yep. was, there, you're absolutely right. There was no plan there. I think more of to the point was, is that, you know, so th- this is to kind of feed into, um, into Mike Pritz's, uh, uh, whole point of tap that he put on to LinkedIn. Right. Cause I chimed in. Um, I found that program totally useless. Yeah. And um, I, I do think, though, that there is a way to plant that seed somehow, right, if you have a veteran, like, like what you guys are talking about, right? You have the veteran groups that are working now to say, like, all right, guys, here's the deal. Everyone's going to transition differently, right? I've got guys that I work with at Electric Boat um, where, like you said, they, when they walked off, that, that line came down. They were like, I'm done. I'm moving on with my life, right? And then you have other guys that are like, you know, I'm having a hard time. You know, this transition's kicking my butt. Um, because I, I miss this, I miss that, I miss this, you know, it's not the, it, the job is not the same, right? We get to play with cool stuff. 
and now you don't get to play with cool stuff. So, so I, I think, it, and, and you're right, I probably had to go through that. Um, and sometimes you just feel like you wish that there was a way that you could explain to other people so that maybe that little bell would go off to go, oh, yeah, I probably need to think about that. Yeah, Matthew Griffin from Combat Flip Flops in one of our very, you know, I think somewhere in the 20s or 30s episodes, you know, when uh, a couple of years back he came on the show, said a couple of things, you know, that we're talking about here. First off, your network is your net worth. That was a key takeaway that he said. But also he said something yep. that I think is a very valuable thing, and that is, Take, uh, set aside enough money and build yourself a long enough runway that you can decompress. And it doesn't matter whether you've been in a combat deployment situation, you just spent four years and you never saw, you know, a deployment, you're still going to need to make that decompression between the military and the civilian side. And, um, I think what that does is it allows you to find out who you are more and, and those things that you might need, like you might need the connection. You might um, want to understand that you want to get connected more or equally with the military as well as the civilian side. I think what's interesting, too, is that everything we're talking about, you know, people over there in the U.K. or Australia, they don't have the resources and, and they're they're not as far advanced as we are in terms of transition. And although we think our transition assistance program could be much better, they yeah. don't even really have those types of things. Right. Yeah. I think therein lies the problem, though, what Jonathan was saying. People are different, you know, and everybody's different and everybody's needs are different when they're coming out. Some people won't want anything to do with the military. Some people will need to still have something to do with the military. Yeah. And there's everything in between. And for the military, whilst I think personally the military should do more to help people transition, I don't know what the solution is. Because you could have the best program in the world that would suit maybe 80%, you know, in, in a standard bell curve. You'd maybe pick up 80% of the people leaving the military. But there's still that 10% either side. Right. In the UK, you know, we, we, mm. we have 15,000 people a year leaving the military. I would imagine you guys are pretty much veteran ratios. You're 10 times us. So you may be looking at 150,000 people a year leaving the military. That's 30,000 people that aren't getting picked up. And the, these are the people that's forming that, you know, these statistics of 22 a day taking their own lives tragically because they're, they're not going to fit into a standard program. So there's, for me, there's an education piece. You need the military should be teaching people what the outside world is like, because a lot of us join up at 16, 17, 18 years old. People do 20, 22, 24, 30 years. That's that's the bulk of your life. You know, your childhood first and then your adult work in life. You've only known the military. You've never lived off of a, a camp or a base, potentially. You know, all the little things that civilians take for granted every day, paying your taxes and you know where do you what happens when you need a plumber where do you get a plumber from you know right. normally you just ring up and say something's broke send somebody around and, and it happens but it isn't like that so there's an education piece on how the real world works but then people need to own it i think when they get out that's it and you need to own it yep. in, in terms of if you're struggling say you're struggling and and you know, this isn't working for me. I'm not integrating because that's the key thing for 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 me. We are integrating back into the world. We're not going out there expecting the world to change to us. We've got to fit back in with everybody else that's been going on their normal lives for however many years. And if people are struggling to do that, you need to speak up because it isn't going to change. That is life as it happens every day. Yeah. And if you're not fitting into that, you need to say to somebody and reach out and say i'm not getting this we've talked yeah, about struggling with whatever it is we've talked about this topic a lot on on many of our episodes and stuff yeah. and it's the same thing that we run across with um many veterans that separate and there are nonprofit organizations out there that try to do their best and helping that smooth that transition they'll do other things beyond the transition assistance program and all that but you said something that's most important and that is you have to recognize first that you're integrating back in. And then secondly, you've got to take an action and you and ownership. And yep. so, you know, that's that's the problem though. We're 
we're not conditioned that way coming out of uh, the military, whether it be in the UK, Australia, Canada, US, nowhere. We were conditioned, and then we've talked about this with other guests and stuff, Scott, you may remember, we were we were brought from a civilian at whatever age to be a military individual and act and carry ourselves and do certain things a particular way. But that same transition that we had coming in is not that was accelerated or uh, accelerated. And then there was a, a tapering off and you felt comfortable. There's none of that type of transition getting out. And that transition assistance program doesn't do it. And probably, probably because you made the commitment you want to get off active duty. You said, Hey, I want to go out into the private sector. But like you said, you have no idea what that means. You right. didn't know what that meant with the military, but they had a program to condition you and get you there. There's not one. So right. you got to take the initiative here. And I think that's part of the problem. Uh, a lot of people are probably not willing to take the initiative, not willing to find out who they are, not not identifying and recognizing their weaknesses and saying, OK, um, hey, I need a tribe. I I need to have a network. I, I need to stay more connected. I, I got to keep my idle mind. You know, I, I can't have an idle mind. You know, I've got to I got to keep it working. I want to get back or I want to some of that's not going to happen until you take some time to you know step away from it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to, to segue into that, I mean, that's how I found you guys. Cause I had, I had retired. So, you know, January of 2016, I'm at home. Um, you know, we had built somewhat of a runway. We weren't strapped for cash. I was doing stuff around the house, helping get my little ones to school, stuff like that. Um, and I was cutting up a tree in the front yard cause it had fallen. I found your podcast and I started listening um, and I think that's the value that I, you know, not that I wanted you guys to know, but also other people. Cause I had met a, I met a police officer here. He'd worked for 20 years in a, in a local town and we went to go talk to him about something. And he said, you know what? He goes, I felt the same exact way. He's like, I was burnt out. I was tired. I left and he goes, and I missed the hell out of it. So now he works in another police department right down the road. Um, and I think it's part of that conditioning. I think the other thing that, um, also goes along with that. Um, is resiliency like I don't know how you know you know in the UK or I know in some you know I know in some special force just from talking to you guys and listening right resiliency is something you teach right mm -hmm. you teach them like hey this is what this means at least for us right in the submarine force I don't it wasn't that it was taught straight up it wasn't taught like what does that mean um yeah. would that have helped, uh, yeah would that definitely have helped, not would that have helped me coming out I think it would have I think it would have taught me to be I think it would have taught me to be a little bit um, stronger with myself to know that, you know, with everything I'd gone through and, 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 and the counseling that I'd gotten while I was in there, though, look, okay, I can do this. I just need to build a better plan. Right. And I think yeah. you hit the nail on the head too. It's partly it's ownership, right? It was, we went, we, my wife and I went through this and then she was going through it because, you know, she had, she had a part inside of it. So she lost part of that. And so that whole thing just like crumbled in on itself. And we found ourselves at different points just sitting there going, what just happened? And because you think, like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And then you get to the other side of it, and you're like, this is nothing what I thought it was going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, that was it. I was going to say, like, the other thing of it that you're kind of starting to hint along to, and I've seen this because I've done some talent acquisition stuff here, is – I'll, I'll see people, you know, cry on social media and I, I say cry in the, in the means of like, you know, they're crying out for help and that's a good thing. But I'm like, I'll, I'll get to them and do the one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'll be like, what have you done to find yourself or apply? And they're like, well, I don't know where to go. Or I, I tried this, but, and I'm like, so you just tried the one time. Okay, well, we've got to try it again, first off. And I was like, secondly, did you invest some time into like your resume? Because I, and I've had, I'm talking like senior NCOs and stuff to give me their resumes. And I'm looking at them like, you waited two years to just now like talk to someone like me who's still, I mean, I'm still serving, but I know enough to say you should have asked for help like two years ago. You went without employment. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? Why would you let yourself drown? And I was like, you've, and I've kind of related this to people that, you know, you can't be stubborn and, you know, alpha male, alpha female being stubborn is being stubborn and ignorance is not bliss. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, I just, I just didn't know. And I thought it was going to be yeah. roses and rainbows and also, you know, <laughs> and it's, and it's just, you know, Where are just, the unicorns? <laughs> it just wasn't. And then and all the things I wanted to do, I did in the first three months. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? 
Um, you know, so I use my GI Bill and I'm finishing my, my degree now. And I agree with you. I think part of it is is that you just don't know what you don't know. And then you get there and you're like, oh, okay, this this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't keep up with, you know, I didn't keep up with those people. And and once I got back and now, um, you know, I'm, I'm building the next Columbia class uh, submarine over at Electric Boat, surrounded by people that uh, I served with, you know. And, and yeah. so it, 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 it was reconnection and, and it was it was a great timing and it was in – you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. Is it what I want to do? No, but I'm definitely enjoying myself more than I was before. Well, you've got to be able to find, and I'm glad you did, you found your passion out of whatever you're doing or found something within it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the 100%. You can focus on something that you enjoy doing. Like you said, you said you enjoy it. It may not be everything that you want out of it, but the, the purpose or the goal or the thing that you want to do is still there. I'm just glad you cut the tree and found us. Uh, don't yes. go out and cut a whole lot of trees. Out. If you're listening to us to find our podcast, we'll help you find that. But, uh, but My next kind of, advertisement for us will be with chainsaws. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that – I was listening to that. And I'm thinking, okay, you're cutting the tree and you found our podcast. How, how did uh, – I, I found it and I was cutting – I was just cutting it up. And then I started listening and I was like, huh. You know, because really what it came down to was when I was going through that period of time, the first couple of months, I was like, all right, what group is close to what a submariner would be? Right. And so as I'm going through the podcast, I'm like, okay, this one talks about special forces. It talks about this. I'm like, okay, that's probably out of the genre of ones that are out there. This is probably the closest to what, like, I can feel like. And once I started listening, I was like, okay, you know, and and that was why when, when I first did this with you guys. Um, you know, I remember talking to my wife and I was like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I feel like I deserve to be part of this space with these people. Cause you got some amazing guests there that I listened to that I'm like, wow. Okay. You know? So, but what I realized was, you know, we all have a story, but we all go through something that's similar. Um, yeah. and, yeah, and, don't, and don't sell and, yourself short. No, yeah. absolutely not. And what people need to understand is that they can get the same thing. Um, and they can find their way and they can get the, you know, I have an entire book of stuff I've written down from, from your podcast of like, oh yeah, I got to remember that. Oh yeah, I got to remember that. <laughs> and I go back to it and I look at it and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Um, and, it's and a great so, endorsement. I think Scott was hoping you would say episode 120 changed your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's Scott's sultry left, voice that just really makes you want to listen. In tw- if you're left in 2017, January... 120 was February 2017. But <laughs> 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 well, I, I think, you know, I, I think the thing was is that you guys helped me. I know there's got to be other people out there who are sitting on the sidelines going, all right, what am I going to do? Um, right. and, and, and that's why I put that challenge out there for everyone was that there's other people out there listening. You guys are great for this space. Um, there's so many other like coachings and out there um, that some of it's just not real. Um, and you guys talk about real people. Some yeah. of that stuff I listen to out there, and I'm like, I this guy was a coach. He became a coach yesterday, and now he's telling me that my life is going to be awesome. Um, and that's, yeah, it's a, and so I, I just wanted to thank you guys again for 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 doing what you guys. Do. Oh, thank you for listening and for following, and, and like I said uh, earlier, for being a patron of the show and stuff, and by you know wanting to help us even reach out to other people. I think um, for us, you know, it comes down to. Um, we do this to try to give back. This is our way of connecting with fellow veterans, uh, hearing their struggles and things that they do. And I mean, we could probably spend, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, just talking with, you know, the team, the cadre of hosts. And we do that often, mind you, but it's also really good to bring other people into the show that can share their stories and their struggles and some of the challenges that they're going through. And that's why we really believe it's real people and real talk. You know, and I, you know, I appreciate you calling that out and giving you the, uh, giving us those yeah. endorsements because uh, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on, actually. No, and I think you guys, I think you guys hit the nail on the head, and, and you're, at least in my mind, you're nailing it out of the park. So, well, I appreciate that, and uh, I mean, we've oh, we've done very well, uh, in, especially within the last couple of years here, and in, in terms of you know ratings and stuff on our podcast, and it's through people like yourself, the listeners that are that helping us get there. Because uh, obviously, if people aren't listening, you're not going to go anywhere. So we we really appreciate that. But um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because I think there are a lot of other people that are out there 
uh, that are going through some of the same things. And, you know, Tom wanted to be on the, the podcast. I know he did. And um, I think you've mentioned to me that Tom made a major impact in his episode and his is our one of our top episodes ever on our podcast, uh, Tom Satterley. And uh, Tom's a regular host and stuff on the show uh, whenever he's available, as uh, many of our cadre of hosts are. Uh, but, you know, you, you mentioned to me that Tom made a, a big impact on that. And uh, that's the kind of stuff to us um, that really blows us away. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and, and I think <clears throat> I think the main reason I, I told you that when I sent it to you was um, we, you know, our, my wife and I were just kind of at a really, really low point. And I and I remember I remember hearing that podcast about his struggles and thinking to myself, OK, um, well, first of all, if this guy can do it, I can probably pull my ass off the ground and get myself back up. I said, but here's this guy that, to me, is larger than life, right? Just the story and, and everything else and going, he's having the same struggles that I am, right? And, yeah. and, and it's important to share those things because then you realize, okay, here's kind of like a roadmap that I need to do in order to get myself out of this. And it involves other people helping me, right? And reaching out and saying, I yeah, need Absolutely. Right? And, so, and so it was, you know, that's why I sent that and um, – you know, I'm just glad I got to hear him that day. So, yeah, you know, and, and that's not the first uh, first time we've ever heard that, by the way. I think, you know, his story has really made an impact in a lot of people's lives and their foundation, the All Secure Foundation. That's exactly what it's for is to help those especially um, special operators in trying to not only heal them. Uh, with some of the post-traumatic stress that they're dealing with and the depression and anxiety and the things that they're going through. But it's that family nucleus, and you talk about your spouse and such, but you can't just heal the one. You've got to be able to go through it together, um, both sides understand, communicate, and everything else. And I, and I think that's one of the things that that episode really talked about is pointed out it's not just me. It's everybody that's around me that I'm affecting and and he started realizing that and uh that's probably why that's one of our best episodes but Jonathan thank you so much again for coming on the show and telling your story and again I think a lot of people can relate to this there's a a lot of uh similarities to what you guys go through in the submarine world that uh, all branches end up going through and then uh even some of the other struggles you had as it relates to transition I think transition is still one of the hardest things and like you know, Scott said, there's just no magic potion here. I don't think there's a one size fits all. And I think there's a lot of organizations that do fine jobs and trying to, to create that one size fits all and that magic potion. And I commend them, but I think we have to embrace the fact that we are all different and there's not a solution for everybody that's going to match, but how can I help you, Jonathan? How can I help you, Eric, or you, Scott? And what's the one thing, one message that can resonate with you that's going to cause you to take an action to do something to better yourself? You know, and that's that's kind of what we try to do here within the show. Uh, but certainly that's what everybody should be trying to do with our fellow veterans that are coming off active duty as well. Yep. No, I agree with you. So I, I appreciate you having me on. It was great to meet you guys. You know, I listen to you guys, you know, every single time a new one drops, I'm on there listening. So I appreciate well, it. It's our honor. Definitely our privilege. Yeah, thank thank you. you, John. All right. Thank you, guys.